If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, a horror video game podcast and proud member of Bloody Disgusting's Bloody FM podcast network. I'm your host, Jay Krieger. And I'm the other one, Neil Bolt. And this week, we're slow-mo sliding into the cacophony of gunfire that is Trepang 2. This FPS horror hybrid from developer Trepang Studios combines supernatural abilities with fraught gunfights that makes for an exhilarating blend of action with some horror elements giving the chaos a bit more atmosphere to it all. Now, if this game reminds you of a little unknown title called Fear, you aren't the only one, but I think we'll get to the bottom of whether there's more to this than just resting on the laurels of other success. So this game has a pretty familiar setup, uh, you know, homage aside, right? It is you're playing a guy that's basically a super soldier, has the ability to cloak short bursts of bullet time. He's freed from the uh, captivity of a, you know, a global organization that has a few thousand PMC mercs on their payroll, and they basically join up with the group to basically fight the Empire, if you will. Um, so first and foremost, as I said in the intro, this game very clearly is going to be compared to fear in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. but, you know, I think it might take things a step further. So I'm curious for you, you know, going into this, knowing that it had pretty clear uh, connections, I suppose, in terms of gameplay and structure, maybe to fear. Um, how is your initial time with Trepang 2? I think it's not just that. I think it's a celebration of certain kind of shooters of the early 2000s in general. You know, not just fear, but precursors, even like, I mean, Max Payne, you know, the, you know, the slow-mo stuff feels sure. very, you know, reminiscent in some ways. Um, but the shooter it reminded me of was not really that one, to be honest, most of the time. It was Crisis that came to mind, you know, with the yeah. power setup and the way things went. So, yeah, and all games I've enjoyed immensely, especially in the PC era. But I think the Crisis thing hooked me the most. Um, just having a bunch of abilities and just getting to be like a badass soldier who could do all this. Thing. And having the threat escalate in the way it does means it's um, really evoking that era in so many ways. I mean... You can tell it's a celebration of that because the plot you've just described is pretty much the plot of 
most 90s to late 2000s shooters. Um, so yeah, that, that straight away is great. And it does just feel like a real throwback in so many ways. And what's good about that is many of those games were quite good anyway, you know, in terms of how they handle. Lots of them still handle pretty damn well today. But with those refinements that they've put on this, you know, it has made it you know, feel modern enough, I think, you know, not without pushing it too far. Um, it's giving the gameplay a lot of the work to do. You know, I think the story is there, great, you know, like that. I don't think that would be a point we'll be discussing much. But at the same time, when you look at the story behind how this was made and how it you know, started as just like this small hobby project, learning Unreal, to growing as a team by putting out little demos and yeah, just basically becoming this eventually over what this is now what, four, seven years now since they started working on the original mm-hmm. concept for this. Yeah. And you know, ironically, it goes back to the stuff we talk about with Horror Bites and, you know, you have these little slices of what a game could be and get that out there to people and see what they think and build on it. I mean, this is the perfect example of that. You know, something that began like that with a small team, grew, 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 to you know being able to release on consoles and PC in the last year. As uh, this throwback to Fear, which, you know, as much as people like Fear, you know, I think, and it has some good stuff, at the time, you know, it wasn't really that well-liked in most places, I think, with the Fear games. You know, I think they were generally considered seven out of ten games in the era of why isn't this game Halo X or, or whatever game it was, Flavor of the Month at that time. Uh, just not to say that's what it deserved, it's just I think that was the expectation that it's just been one of those things over the years we've reappraised the Fear games and given them their due. But uh, as a result, you know, those games did something that was a little out there for games of that type at the time you know taking more of the horror approach in terms of psychological horror and things like that alongside normal shooter and i think that was a bit jarring for many people back then whereas now feels almost natural like that i mean the amount of times people i've seen people look at this initially and wonder why you would consider it a horror game because they haven't played it obviously and you know, and, a, and if you play the demo of the early levels or anything like that, it doesn't really give off any of that vibe. It's far more like Crisis One, early part, and the end of Crisis, and the rest of the game sort of uh, feeling. But yeah, it, it's. I think it goes far above what Fear does because it it goes to crazy places. And I think that is just because it is a celebration of multiple games of that era. Yeah, you know, considering how simple the game could be to describe, and yet it's drawing from so many different influences, what I was really, really impressed with, and it's evident from, you know, the demo that we covered for Horror Bites last year, and just, you know, talking about coming full circle, and seeing this experience, and just how they had fleshed out that small intro level into multi multiple locations, you've got this overarching narrative, you've got, you know, a hub, side missions, how combat evolves the further into the game you get. And, you know, seeing how it's able to draw from so many different influences. Yeah. And yet it doesn't feel like it overcomplicates itself, which is a very, you know, slippery slope kind of pitfall that this game could have fallen into where yeah. it's like, okay, 
we're going to draw, you know, crisis is a fantastic shout for an influence. And you could have had a situation where they said, okay, we're going to have powers. Let's, you know, take it a step further. And then all of a sudden you have an overabundance of options that then get in the way of actually the shooting, right? That's the thing. And that's the biggest differentiator, I think, between something like crisis and this. And I think that something like crisis, it's all about tactical options and how you approach a situation. And we want to give you this entire toolbox and then it's left to the player. And really with a game like Trepang 2, it is through and through the most refined corridor shooter throwback to the 90s, early 2000s, and just having these very kinetic and fluid combat sections where it's like you cannot stop moving in some of these instances Mm. of combat and what you kind of get thrown at you, whether it be general units, whether it be more advanced, whether it be the bosses and whatnot that you're going to encounter at a certain point. But it's nice to see a game that feels it's taking the best elements from these influences, but it's not getting too into the weeds with it. I think that, you know, restricting the player to those two special abilities, which is bullet time, which you're gained from, you know, killing enemies. And then you also have a cloak ability that recharges. Outside of that, it could be the type of thing where it's like, okay, give them one more or two more powers. And all of a sudden it just, it detracts from that fluidity, I think. And the, rhythm that you get into within you know the first 20 minutes of the game of you know you cloak you grab a guy which you know i love that ability by the way (laughs) taking a guy hostage but it's not just whether or not using as a human shield or just you know breaking their neck or whatnot but literally like pulling the pin out of their grenade and then launching them at a group of enemies is by far one of the most satisfying things i've done in a shooter this year but again you know the fluidity of it because you can't just rely on one strategy because of the amount of enemies that are thrown at you. And I don't know about you, but I played on hard mode and granted that was, (laughs) I think the third difficulty out of like five or six, which kind of just like gives you an idea of the, uh, the level of depth for uh, seasoned shooters that's out there for this game. But, you know, even on hard, I thought was the perfect level of challenge that didn't allow any of the encounters to feel like a cakewalk. But if you really do rely on the tool set that's at the player's disposable, uh, everything feels, for the most part, you know, pretty manageable. But it comes back to that core sort of framework of you're either slowing down time, cloaking, sliding like a madman, (laughs) almost like a spastic sliding (laughs) at times when you're getting into those crazy hectic firefights. But it never allows, you know, the gunplay to take a backseat to powers or anything like that or getting lost in the weeds with, uh, you know, power menus or loadouts, that type of thing. Yeah, yeah. I think the connect nature of it is so huge. You know, I think it has to be a factor when you're talking about where this game succeeds. Um, fittingly, I think just recently playing you know, Spider-Man 2 and those, the way that combat's evolved a bit in terms of how you go do what you do everywhere else and you get into combat and you're, a lot is thrown at you and you know you have these different abilities and you have to learn how to juggle them and the enemies aren't as um, you know obvious in terms of like structure and style of like this is a heavy this is a small blah 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 now so you're kind of having to read attack patterns things like that and it just felt like very similar you know to Trepang 2 does but what works here especially for me is just that you can just mix these things up and use them in random orders like you know you can jump kick people as well and one of my favorites is definitely 
jump kicking one guy, turning around midair in slow mo and just blasting someone else in the head with a shotgun. It's just like yeah. amazing. <laughs> slow mo sliding around a corner and yeah. then just oh. hitting the guy with the Spaz twelve and turning them into red mist. Yes. I mean, few as satisfying moments this year. <laughs> yeah, so I think it wouldn't work though if it didn't have like the, the weapons that it does being as refined as it is. Yeah. You want to make a good shooter, your shotgun better be up to spec, and it is. <laughs> yeah, it is meaty and fun to use, and any game that makes me use a shotgun or makes me want to use a shotgun, even when it's not practical, is usually a good sign. Yeah, like um, Titanfall 2 came to mind a lot of the time in terms of like that fluidity of combat and being able to close the distance on enemies quickly to make use of whatever weapon you feel like is the good one to use. And yeah, so that, that was always fun just to say well i want to keep using this one and i only had the ammo for this one because you you can run out of ammo quite easily in this game if you uh, get a bit too trigger happy and that's why the slime is so important isn't it because without it you know and, and they added this in the first place because of difficulty of the earlier builds is you know it gives you time to just sort of think about what you're doing because it does just get so hectic yeah very quickly like a couple of missions in and you're like fucking hell like you're not only like points running for your life whilst trying to pick off things in front of you it but you know you also have to jump and do this that and but the game trains you so well up to that point to get used to handling all these things and considering by its own you know by shooter standards its control setup is a bit unique to what most shooters are doing. Mm-hmm. It means yeah, you need to really learn in those early hours to um, get the most out of it. But it, it it's you get it. You know, I think the pacing is really well done for that. You know, that it does just give you enough early on to get used to that control set and really get into a rhythm with it. By the time you um get around to the harder stuff, you start having to chain things together and learn on the job so to speak so yeah fantastic side of it this game is very much all about the combat i think and yeah it hammers that home by having you know what could be considered repetitive fights in the fact that you are almost always going to be fighting someone within a 20 seconds of going anywhere <laughs> but at the same time that's fine because those tools we've just talked about give you enough variety in any fight that you could do all sorts of different things it's that whole hack and slash thing you know where you've got this move set that sure you're fighting the same kind of grunts here there and everywhere with slight variations as you go along but because of the tool set you've got is so fun and interesting you can make each fight feel fun and different and in a way that you, you didn't before so yeah that's the thing about this game it just keeps reminding me of different genres different things beyond just that obvious fear reference you know like we already said max Payne being a third person thing i think it's not just the shooting there's just elements of the way it does certain things and introduces certain uh, set piece moments but yeah it's got some real third person sensibilities in a first person game without compromise which is odd but it works yeah you know I think, too, you know, the more accustomed players get to, you know, whether it's the layout, whether it's the parameters for combat, you know, they start to take a liking to certain guns over other guns, which I want to circle back to in a second. But, you know, it really is the type of game where 
the more that you dive into it, because it is quite chaotic early on and you get overwhelmed very easily. I think about in the opening level when you basically are in this storage area that's got a bunch of elevators and you keep getting hit by waves of different mercenaries. And it's like you get to a point where it's so frequent, it's so chaotic, you're getting multiple types of enemies thrown at you, whether it's grunts or heavies. And it starts to get to that point where you're like, holy shit, is this wave ever going to end? But then, you know, as soon as you get to the next area and you become more accustomed to how the game plays, you're more confident in your abilities and how to utilize them in different times. You start to relish that chaos because that's when the experimentation comes in mm. with the with the tools that are at your disposal. And as you mentioned, you know, using powers to split the difference almost between you and an enemy that's far away, that's the name of the game at a certain point and how to delay the inevitable of, you know, getting shot in the head or something. And you have to develop this comfortability with every single weapon, not to say that there's like a great deal of weapons in the game. It's fairly standard, but at the same time, you know, every single weapon has its utilizations in different ways. And, you know, more importantly, you get to mod them, which is, again, one of those kind of nods to crisis where every gun throughout environments, they have these kits that you can pick up and discover that basically unlock attachments for each of the weapons, which then you go to this crate and you can basically, you know, give your submachine gun a silencer, give it a barrel extender, give it a laser sight if you want to fold the stock in or not. But each one of these things is not just aesthetics. It actually caters towards certain stats for the weapons and yeah. things like that, which, again, it speaks to giving players their own freedom with which how they want to approach combat. But it doesn't feel as cumbersome or as, I don't know, like there has to be a ton of forethought into what's about to happen in a certain engagement. It's more just, do you want to be able to take out a couple of guys without alerting everybody else? Great. If not... You can play around with these other sort of settings. And I think that in a game such as this, if it was a more cumbersome sort of on the fly, okay, I'm going to give myself this attachment, that attachment. And instead of having it be on the fly, you have to find these certain crates. It doesn't slow down the pacing. And that's, I think, the key to what makes combat so special on top of the weapons being punchy as hell, which is, again, you know, you if you're making an FPS... The first thing on the list is have a fucking awesome shotgun. <laughs> Second, you need to have every weapon feel viable. And that, I think, plays into the frantic nature of gunfights because of the fact that when you're sliding around, you're going to run out of ammo very quickly for the first half of the game, maybe, until you learn a little trigger discipline. Uh, you know, that will vary based on <laughs> who's behind the controller on this game. But it's the thing where at the beginning of the game, I had that sensibility where it's like, oh, pistol is for the first 10 minutes and then I never use it again. But in this game, it's like, no, that pistol has a, a crazy punch to it. It's customizable. And of course, you can dual wield every single weapon in the game other than the, uh, the grenade launcher and the machine gun. And to your point, you know, that shotgun is so satisfying to use turning guys into red mist. It's even more satisfying when you've got two of them and you're just, you know, chewing through guys constantly. Um, and I think that, you know, in terms of particle effects and just how, you know, it gets to the point where all you see is just environments being shredded, which is very Max Payne, again, to your point. But at the same time, like you just you can literally see, you know, bullet fragments flying when you're in slow motion and whatnot. And when you hit that stride and you hit that stride a lot in this game, the you know more familiar you get with the mechanics, slow motion, sliding around, dodging bullets drop kicking guys, grabbing guys as a hostage. It's just, but like, it is 
so fluid in terms of how your brain almost like flips a switch and you're almost like semi not conscious because you're just like, oh, it's very reactionary. It's very routine at a certain point, which is a fantastic balance to get to. You know, mm. I've described this as being frantic. I've described it as being chaotic, but it doesn't feel as erratic as some games that have tried to do what games like Fear, Max Payne, Crisis have done. And sometimes it's like, okay, well, this is so chaotic. I don't feel like I have a great deal of input here other than make sure I shoot first. And that's not the case in Trepang 2. It feels as if if I play around with these parameters, granted, based on the difficulty you're playing on, there's a little bit of wiggle room in terms of error, but it feels like, okay, there's multiple avenues for every situation and I'm not locked into something. Yeah. And one thing here that's definitely worth mentioning when we're talking about upgrading from that era is just the sheer amount of everything you can have on screen. You know, like yeah, there are so many enemies at times that it's insane. You know, and the fact that they are taking that post-Halo sort of intelligent shooters if you will thing where you know the enemy ai will move around and flank you and go into formations and things like that and you know this, this is the next level of that so you've got to contend with those two things you know sheer numbers tactical force and you know your equalizer is having these abilities and doing that and that's what makes it really interesting i think it consistently in combat is because they have that you know because the combat is so challenging no matter what you do Uh, even if you take down the notches to that normal it's still got challenge you know and like that but it allows you to be brave and push forward and keep being the super soldier you are and whilst still having the threat of death if you just don't take care about what you're doing you know so it's a great mix you know i'm absolutely gobsmacked every time i go into combat and really enjoy it i suppose the downside of that is everything outside of combat really you know with this game feels not the same basically it's uh because the combat is just so fun so mm-hmm. intense so you know high intensity but yeah you know, and it's understandable that you'd want like downtime you have to have downtime absolutely sure. i think um even people could cite doom 2016 or whatever as like you know this relentless shooter but no even that had lots of downtime and things to do in between and to be honest in that game for me you know there was plenty of times where that's the stuff i wasn't really invested in and didn't want to know i didn't didn't always build the atmosphere it was supposed to there are sections here that do but generally i think the quality gap is so high that the stuff in between does kind of feel like an afterthought. Like there's just not much going on, and you're kind of just like, it's like going like going on the bus between parties. You know, it's like you you rock up at one party, have a great time, and everyone says, "Yeah, let's go to the next one." And you know, for some reason, something's kicked off in the middle, and everyone's really quiet, and you just kind of just tooting along as you are until you get to the door of the next one, and you're just anticipating that next fight. And yeah, that could have been a great vehicle for just sort of keeping a cycle, you know, keeping that flow going of like you know, high, low, high, low, high, low. But it's not so much a low as a it kind of cancels it out a bit. Like you have this euphoria from a fight and then it's just next objective. And 
because it's evoking that era so much, environment-wise especially, there's a lot of sparsity and bare spaces and emptiness you know, when there aren't enemies around. There's not much going on. There's nothing really interesting going to find beyond like I mean you have like pick up collectibles and stuff like that but that's traditional at this point it just yeah it maybe that's just the compromise you have to make with a small team it's like yeah we've refined the combat that's the thing we want to do we want to make that as fun as possible you know to be fair there's like a whole mode where you can just do that back at base where you can just sure shoot endless waves of enemies with barely any downtime <laughs> but even that <laughs> That's not what I'm asking for. I, I'm literally just saying that you could further tweak that so that there's a bit more interest in the bits in between. It isn't just about bam, bam, thank you, Matt. So, yeah, I'm, I, I agree with you somewhat. I think that for me, the production value of this was much higher than I was expecting. So mm. it has nice elements to it or more refined elements than I was expecting where it's like, interactions with your squad you have people that are calling in basically and giving you updates about things which to be fair sounds fairly standard but at the same time when you think about a game that is so combat focused i was expecting none of that basically a lack of polish in that regard um just because that's not the focus of the experience right but at the same time yes i wish that maybe and this would have helped the narrative perhaps which is maybe one of the elements that I wouldn't say is weaker of this game, but it just it feels kind of run of the mill, if you will, for you know a military shooter, super soldier shooter, if you will. Um, I suppose in terms of what you're talking about, the the biggest issue I had with that was when you have to return to your base in between missions, mm. which is probably my least favorite aspect of the game. Yeah. Now, granted, when you go to the base, you have different, you know, you can go to a shooting range, you can have that wave base mode, like you mentioned. You also can access missions that are both primary and secondary, which we'll talk about secondary missions in a little bit. But I really wish that for the campaign, and this is not a detriment, I'm not saying this is a negative, like as short as it is, I probably took five hours, six hours for me to beat this. I'm not 100% positive, which I don't think is a bad thing. I think that, you know, in terms of over the years with shooters, we've definitely kind of, I think, as a collective, reappraised a lot of shooters because of the fact when you look back at shooters that used to be like 10 or 14 hours long, it's like, okay, yeah. At what point though, did this just feel like recycling elements that you've already seen and it was outstays its welcome type of thing. And with something like this, I'm much more in favor of it being this much more concise, much more, you know, memorable experience for that and that you get in and then the experience is over. And I wish that it hadn't introduced the hub world in between primary missions, I wish that the hub world had would have been a byproduct of completing the campaign. And then, oh, hey, I can go back and replay the story missions or I have all of these side missions yeah. all of a sudden, which, you know, in some instances feel like just continuations of the campaign to some degree, even though structurally they're a little different. Um, but I will say, you know, and this is taking it back to what you were saying about the AI, um, I was really a fan of the pacing of the single player missions. Um, because of the fact that the way that the layouts are structured and the advancement of the AI from what, you know, I think we were probably anticipating as being average to, you know, the typical kind of uh, small studio AI that you would encounter in a shooter. I was really a fan of the pacing and going from, you know, very strict sort of, 
90s, early 2000s corridors to then these much wider environments that allow the AI to have a lot of breathing room in how they react to what you're doing. And that was an aspect of it that I think allows the game to really shine, even if it's only a five or six hour experience, because of how versatile the AI feels. You know, you get into a rhythm, of course, as we've mentioned with, you know, how you approach combat, what you can anticipate to a certain degree. But at the same time, I never felt the fatigue in those single player missions. If anything, when I was playing the game, I felt a little bit of fatigue, I think, because I was taking breaks in going from single player mission to the hub world to then right back to a single player mission. Yeah. Where I feel like if I didn't have that pause to go back to the hub base, I wouldn't have felt fatigued because I would have just been in the thick of things right away. Yeah. Um, I, per- I suppose that's where my opinion on that differs from yours. But, mm. you know, I think overall, in terms of like, the world itself, yeah, they could have maybe found a way to make certain aspects of those missions a little more interesting visually, or I suppose introduce the collectibles and how those collectibles in, uh, basically tell like the narrative yeah. in a way that was a little more, I suppose, creative or unique. Because, you know, when you we've mentioned, you know, fear ad nauseum now, but it's like fear has an approach to storytelling that I love, which is, you know, you have either the radios or the phone voicemails that you're playing throughout, but they play in real time. You don't have to go through a menu. It's also, you know, a lot easier to find them because they're literally red lights flashing in environments. But I was just so much a fan of fear storytelling, feeling very natural and free flowing. But in this, it was like, okay, now I have to go into this menu and then I have to scroll through. It's just, it doesn't feel as fluid, I suppose, is what I'm getting at. Yeah, it it needs to be streamlined. I think the point you make about length is important too because ironically games post Half-Life 2 kind of in the first person genre seem to think that they needed to be longer. Yeah. Um, not realizing the reason Half-Life 2 is like 13 to 15 hours long is because it's yeah. fucking amazing and yeah. great and then <laughs> superbly plotted and all this. Yeah. You know. It's all well and good thinking you deserve to have that amount of runtime, but you kind of have to know how to fill that, you know? Right. So and you have to have the team and resources to support that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think it's always much better that a campaign doesn't take the piss when it comes to first person, um, unless you've got something really special going on behind the scenes. Um, again, we bring it up in, in modern era, Titanfall 2 is just the perfect example of like a nice, punchy campaign that's. Uh, done in plenty of time which is um yeah i mean even the call of duty series tends to go quite small with the campaigns but i think there's reasons for that if, if, that go beyond <laughs> that go beyond um thinking smart you know um but yeah so i think that's the best thing it's got going for it is that it in terms of its gameplay structure is it's not going too long because yep. as fun as these fights are 13 hours of them would be too much yeah it's the debate we kind of had about like Alien Isolation, very different game. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like it's a very good game. Maybe didn't need to be quite as long as it needed as it ended up yeah. being, but at the same time, hundred percent. At least it puts the work in, you know, to get there. You know, it's got a narrative structure that keeps perpetuating that uh, time span that you're spending on it. But yeah, when, when you are a shooter, that you can barely remember a thing about the story in, and well, after you've put it down. Yeah, you don't want to be spending too much time on the downtime and the 
back and forth and the base stuff. You, you know, Metal Gear Solid Five is a superb game that that had a lot of that back to base downtime stuff, but it was interesting. Yeah, like mm-hmm. that, and it it had a purpose. Yeah, just going back to a hub like that just feels, you know, in the, the whole slog that it is going back forth, back forth. Yeah, just too much. I mean, even like ending a mission. And you have to go back all the way back to the end where you came before and all this. It's just I know it's going back to that old style, but when you're modernizing other things, there are some things like that that maybe that would have streamlined, smoothed it out, kept yeah. it going. I understand that may have cut the runtime down a bit. Who cares? You know, you want if yeah. you want a really smooth, streamlined game, especially in a game like this, it would be majestic you know if it had that you know extra pizzazz and then i don't think you'd really start paying attention to some of those issues as much you know those um in between moments where it's quieter wouldn't stand out as much you know, if you didn't have to have those back and forth bits like we're talking about the bass and stuff so yeah it it wins in some categories loses in others i think with that yeah i largely agree i think that it's one of those things where it's like maybe a couple of these features that are harkening back to an old school sensibility maybe should have been left in the past uh, or, you know, taken to the next level or streamlined, uh, as you've been saying. But uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll chat a little bit more about some of those high profile targets, some boss fights and how the game utilizes side missions, as well as the supernatural aspect, which um, as the game is late to the, you know, introducing those things, we have been late to talking about them, but uh, they leave a pretty notable mark on the experience. We'll find out whether uh, that's for better or worse in a moment. And we are back from our break. And there was one aspect that we didn't touch upon when we were talking about those single player missions, which is the inclusion of high profile targets. And this was an aspect that. I was really a fan of because of the fact that it introduces almost like mini boss fights mm. periodically throughout levels. Um, and, you know, mentioning levels, I have to say that I really liked the variety of environments. Yes. That's the one thing that I thought that this game kind of was channeling crisis out a little bit where it's like crisis began as this tropical paradise. And then, you know, of course it gets a little apocalyptic. And then of course, in the later games you go into like a city environment and there's, a great deal of variety, uh, variety of environments. And I thought that was the same with Trepang too, in that you start with what is very familiar, which is, you know, corridor shooters, office buildings, underground facilities. But then, you know, there's a whole section where you're basically in this castle and then a cavern system in, um, in Europe somewhere. And then, you know, you're fighting at crash sites of planes and whatnot. And some environments, you know, for those side missions, they seem like one thing and then they end up being something very different. Yeah. Um, and you know, in terms of getting back to the high profile targets, I was a fan of the fact that they would drop these little bosses basically into those missions very suddenly. And, you know, that plays into the side missions because some of them pop up in side missions. So if you want to get all of them, you have to do those and whatnot. But at the same time, each of the high profile targets has a specific sort of combat style or ability and whatnot. And it's not to say that it drastically alters combat, but it is nice to have those mid-tier bosses that either, you know, they're a demolition expert, they're a sniper, heavily armored, dual wielding, just a little almost like 
multiplier to combat yeah. that ends up throwing you a curveball that is still perfectly, you know, I suppose in your wheelhouse to deal with. But it's just nice once in a while to get that curveball that kind of can potentially momentarily upend whatever you're in the middle of doing and you kind of have to reassess. But I think they're introduced just frequently enough and later in the game that by that point, the player is perfectly uh, capable of handling those. It's just you have to really be on top of your A game when they show up. And every time they pop up, it's kind of like, okay, am I going to go straight for them? Am I going to kind of thin the herd that's around them first? And it's just a nice way to kind of mix combat up without presenting these sort of scenarios that feel very foreign to what a majority of the experience is like. Yeah. Yeah, it's a fun time to be had, I think, when you look at it like that, because you get very much in the rhythm of just fighting certain enemy types, and you get pretty decent teases that you're going to fight someone harder, uh, you know, through the radio chatter, you know, they'll talk about, oh, this person's here, you know, and like that. So you get the idea it's coming, which is nice, and it's nice sort of foreshadowing without building, you know, because you know the way it could have gone, I suppose, is doing it more cutscene heavy and like introducing them like that, which is a little further on from where we are in this kind of game that they're making. And so, yeah, it it kind of builds up in your mind, like preparing because you get little tidbits and knowledge of what they might be able to do and what they could do like that. And in some cases, it really, really works well. Yeah, you know, it it's um probably the best examples of storytelling in the game are the lead up to some boss fights in terms of how they tease you of what they could be how they could be and then give you the perfect kind of environment to fight them in you know or or encounter them in yeah so yeah it it is superb in that regard you know i think and as you say it, it does just add something a bit extra to missions when you have that sort of um extra goal to go for that changes combat for a bit yeah you know i think that they're a nice primer too for the boss fights which are you know more foreign to what a majority of the experience is right they are these sort of monolith set pieces if you will that you know feel very again like foreign to i think what a majority of the combat is like but at the same time they're infrequent enough yeah. That they are these sort of like nice little combat distractions, even if at the end of the day, they end up being kind of bullet sponges, right? Where yeah. they've got this massive tier uh, health <laughs> bar, multi-tier health bar. And to the degree that you're almost running just like in this maze, trying to get away from them, reloading, picking up ammo, and then just chewing away their health. Um, but there are a couple of them that I was a fan of. Uh, I think about like the level that's filled with cultists, right? Because that's yeah. where the narrative goes, where you know, you're combating this corporation that's got all these pmcs but then there's like this weird cult that's tied up into things and you fight this massive kind of like monstrosity and we'll Mm -hmm. get into the horror stuff in a moment but um you have that guy that can like he's a brute attacker basically but then there's all these cultists that are kind of forming around him and quite literally one of the most hectic parts of the game i think uh, because of the fact that you have to deal with you know suicide bombers and then you've got all these guys that are trying to shoot you at the same time and it just it adds a very unnatural level of challenge to the game. But again, they're so few and far between those instances that it creates something that acts as a benchmark basically for the player to be like, okay, if I'm not staying on top of my mobility as much as I am, my ammo count and whatnot, then I'm fucked. And that yeah. is a very early <laughs> lesson learned, I think, um, in 
more instances before that, prior to that. But at the same time, it's nice to have like the ultimate sort of milestone test of these abilities. You really can't just like be proficient in one aspect of this game. You need to know exactly when to use bullet time. You need to know exactly when to use cloak to kind of retreat, catch your breath for a moment. And then, you know, getting these kind of uh, curveballs that are thrown your way and whatnot. And there aren't a great deal of bosses, like I said, but at the same time, that is probably the instances that are the most horror centric. Yes. And, you know, the way that this game utilizes horror, there's so I guess suppose for the horror stuff, you know, there's not a lot of clear cohesion between the horror moments. You know what I mean? Like they pop up very sporadically. You're dealing with mutants that spit acid. You're dealing with cultists. You're dealing with, you know, these apparitions at certain points. And while there isn't a lot of cohesion between how horror is used in this game and the types of things you're going to be encountering, that ended up being kind of a positive for me just because of the sort of unknowing nature of how the horror elements would pop up. And they were always a surprise. And I would say that kind of like what you had said about the um, high profile targets and how there's a lot of foreshadowing to them. The environments themselves foreshadow when the horror elements are coming. Yeah. So they're not necessarily a surprise when they show up, but how they actually appear in their abilities is always a surprise, I think, because of how there's no continuity between the type of monster you'll face or what their abilities will be like, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, they, they try to explain it away in most cases. And because you're in this sort of globetrotting thing, and I mean, it's Resident Evil 101 in terms of most of what's going on here. It's like, oh, evil corporation doing sinister things and they occasionally make some stuff. Don't ask why they made these things or what for, but yeah, they're, they're there and, and that's fine. Um, but to be honest, one of the first examples of this is probably the best in terms of how it's structured, how it works out. You know, I was talking about you know, the foreshadowing and how that works. And you know, when you face that winged beast, uh, <laughs> one of the early ones, yeah, like that. The build up to it is perfect. You know, it is proper, you know, horror gaming sort of stuff. You know, you get teasers of it. You know, see the aftermath of its work before you ever see it, and then you get that chase sequence that I was talking about earlier, or alluding to, I should say. And you know, you are just running for your life whilst still having to fight things, and like that could have gone really bad because. Nothing's very clearly signposted, but the level design in that moment is so good that I found my way around, no problem. You know, like that, just enough. You know, I'd see where I had to turn next, just the right moment to sort of do it. It it really gave me that feeling of like, oh shit, oh shit, I've just found something at the last second, like that. It's amazing that that can still be done. You know, such subtle game design. I know we hear the complaints and whinges of like oh why does this have to be colored yellow why does it have to be signposted blah 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 <laughs> and i understand that because most of the time you really would have to direct people to in sections like that in sequences and so the fact that works as well as it does is just you know immense and i think it's almost a downer when you have to actually fight it and it is just like one of those maze segments of going around, avoiding it, shooting it for a bit, coming around. Yeah, it, it's very traditional boss fight stuff. But at least you've got that bit before, you know, where you are just escaping it and it, 
you, you get an idea of how fearsome it is. And yeah, I, I like when they do go into the supernatural and horror and stuff like that because it makes sense. It, it, it it's um, you know, a bit of an odd chocolate box of things. It doesn't, the flavors don't always um complement each other, but they still give that whole greatest hits vibe we were talking about. You know where. Yeah, reel them off. I have something from that game. I have something from that game. Let's why not? Why not? You know, like that. I mean, fear. Yeah, you know, it had a singular image, you know, with Alma and things like that. But at the same time, it was throwing this, that, and everything at it. You know, at the same time. So it's quite connected in, in that regard. But I was, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the. The horror side of things. I mean, it's why we're talking about it here for a start. So, <laughs> like, but yeah, beyond that, you know, that and the sheer gore of this game you know, at times is just yeah perfect in that regard. So I, I'm happy that we got that, and it spices things up a, a bit. I think that's the most important thing you have to take from this game is that you don't just have endless streams of soldiers with slightly different abilities. Fun for a bit, I'm sure, but you, you need something a bit different, a bit fresh, and that does add something to the mix. Yeah, it's not as one note as maybe it presents early on, and that mm. monster of the week aspect of you know enemy design yeah. kind of helps that. And I think that that's something that there's an instance of when you we start talking about you know the side missions that I think there's as many or ju- or more side missions than there are in yeah. uh, than the single-player stuff. But, you know, there's one aspect of one of the side missions where you have to basically investigate this farmhouse that's abandoned. And then, of course, you discover there's a research facility underneath it. And I was like, oh, okay, it's going to be another facility that's just filled with more mercs or this or that. But you start to learn the backstory of it and the fact that, you know, there's this strange apparitions that keep popping up and whatnot and it gives you a different type of enemy to fight but it's also the more supernatural focused of the different you know side missions which for the most part it's basically running around and initiating a hack of a server and defending the server from waves of mercs which is not the most inspired side missions i've ever played at times (laughs) i was kind of like "Eh, you know i could have probably done without these but at the same time, it allows the combat again to be the star of the show, which after some time away from single player, I came back and I was like, I don't hate these. I could have used a little bit more originality along the lines of that farmhouse mission, which yeah. then also, you know, it's great because of the way it's paced, which I think is overall one of my biggest praises of this game is just, you know, how well paced these missions are Yeah, in that you have that exploratory sort of supernatural focus down below in the lab and you assume, oh, well, when I come upstairs, I'm just going to be X-Fact. And then immediately, you know, you have to deal with waves of guys that you basically have to defend this farmhouse, which is your only like structure for miles. And there's snipers and there's a high profile target that gets thrown in there. And it, it makes for the most, I suppose, full spectrum of the experience for that side mission. None of the other ones really live up to that. I'll say that, you know, there's another one where there's like a plane crash and you either have to like defend it or eliminate all the enemies in the area, but it's an example of combat not only working in those close quarter confines of an underground facility or a corridor or whatnot. And, you know, there's just enough structures that it's a, you can kind of like have these multiple outs from combat. You can take cover, but then, you know, the 
fact of the matter is that enemies are always closing in on you. And that was a great example of just how this game is able to maybe feel more like Crisis at times than something like Fear or mm. any one of those other influences. I don't find that the other side missions were necessarily the best indications of like what makes this game so special. But at the same time, they're side missions that are kind of easily, uh, you know, either played or skipped over. Yeah, in my opinion. they're side missions for a reason, I think, in, yeah. in most cases, um, which is, again, a shame because you could have made a better connected hole, perhaps. But, uh, you know, it's more of the stuff you want uh, in different doses and different styles. So why not? You know, it's 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 just fun to play this game, I think, which is the main thing. I think it, for all the things we can sort of point out and go, well, this isn't this good, this isn't that good. Going on the journey that they have to make this game, I can see how certain aspects were missed or, or left out. Or you know, just, you know, Point one, they're trying to make a game from a certain era. And whilst you want to make it more modern, you don't want to push too far that it ends up being just another modern shooter you know we've, we've seen games you know very prominently in the indie space copy that sort of early boomer shooter style you know and this is like next level really and this is going to be like the benchmark for many indie studios to come to make games of that era but now you know like that i mean to be fair that kind of happened to some degree stuff like half-life 2 yeah how many games are born of half-life 2 yeah, it's like directly in some cases with the source engine but it's um i think it this is a game that could be responsible for another wave yeah in, in some way and that'd be healthy and sure that means that it probably won't be the one that stands the test of time and ends up being like the one that you hold up on a pedestal and say, yes, this is the one, this is the greatest example of what they're trying to do out there. But it will have its place in history, you know, I think. And it was nice for me to sort of go back to that era, you know, again, and um, also play it in a, at a time that it wasn't daylight and I couldn't fucking see a thing, you know, <laughs> which is uh, how I found the demo last year. Uh, yeah. To be, unfortunately, yeah, <laughs> uh, yes. it, that's sometimes the problem with these things. But um, sometimes dark, your dark is too dark, and and you don't want that. But yeah, the main thing I take away from this is it's a great throwback, uh, warts and all. Yeah, it's there, but I'll accept them if it means I get the fun stuff. Yeah. I, I guess my last comment for this will just be I'm really impressed with how they're able to harken back to, you know, a throwback sensibility, having it as refined as it is, but as also like how polished it is. Mm. I was really impressed with the overall the production value. Oh, you know, yeah. Say what we will about the narrative, maybe being a little generic or this or that, but like the presentation of everything, I was really impressed with the fact that, you know, both in terms of full voice acting, they've got, you know, the way in which squad mates chime in, information comes in and whatnot. Um, but I think more importantly, from a performance standpoint, and I had read some people were having performance issues and I played on 
uh, Xbox, and I had no performance issues while I was playing at all, which, you know, was... Yeah, nothing on PS5, to be honest. Yeah, which, if you're going to make a game that is all about kinetic combat, erratic combat, like, that needs to be, you know, underneath Spaz-12 shotgun being as destructive as possible. Uh, That needs to be, like, the second benchmark for your game on the design plan. And, you know, in that regard, it really holds up in a way that makes it feel refreshing while still hearkening back to like we said older sensibilities and whatnot um and it's one of those shooters that it's like you know if my favorite shooters the last five years it's probably you know doom eternal trepang 2 uh is not too far behind in that regard because it's just you know it captures exactly what i want from a shooter while at the same time you know feeling like it sets a new benchmark or almost like a reminder for other shooters that operate in that same space of just like you need to give your shooters this level of not only punch but that level of fluidity and also having a couple of surprises in store which i think this game does um, in a way that makes it feel not just like it's a greatest hits but it's a greatest hits that is pushing things forward even if it might be pushing things forward in a way that's subtle it's not necessarily a massive overhaul But it is reminding people like you can harken back to what worked previously, but you need to be making these certain either modernizations or either just pushing things in a direction that they're not as familiar with. Yeah, which like I said, it it comes from a lack of competition at this point. You know, others haven't really tried it and others will come and try it. We see that in the the boomer shooter space where we've got stuff as wide ranging from where Dusk's at like this high level to stuff like Proteus, which is like going that one step further and just being like sublime at that. And there's been so much variety. When you now go back and look at all the stuff that's come out in that little subgenre, one day we'll get that with this, you know, like that we'll get more throwback shooters and it'd be brilliant because Christ, that was one of the greatest periods of shooter history. As much as we celebrate the classics, you know, your Dooms and your Half-Life, Wolfenstein's things like that. The the early two thousands were just absolutely mental for shooters. Yeah, there, there was yeah. so much good there. You know, I, I that's personal bias is there clearly because you know I lived through it and I spent many a good hour. And like I said to you when we were talking about Quake Two, I can't wait for when we get to the Quake Three period of this uh, Renaissance. And um, mm. <laughs> I can. I mean, I won't be in the shape I used to be for doing it, but in terms of my hands, but yeah, at the same time, something very thrilling about that. And and that's why I always bring up something like Titanfall 2, because it had a rhythm that kind of reminded me of those games. And sadly, it's not quite as healthy in its multiplayer community as it once was. Still alive, which is something. But yeah, more of those please and we are getting there with games like this and i i really admire the journey the developers have gone on as well to start from such small humble beginnings and to be able to make a game like this and i think that's what put it puts everything in perspective yeah it's sure it's got flaws sure it's got shortcomings some of them deliberate some of them not but it doesn't matter it's a good time like that it's one of those games that back in the day you'd rented this from some you know, rental store for the weekend, you would have had an absolute blast with it and probably be talking about it 20 years later you know, in the same way that many people talk about fear. You know? So job done, I think, in that regard. 
yeah, it leaves one hell of an impression. And um, even if, you know, some people might be upset by the length of it, it's like, as you said, that is a five to six hour campaign that is going to stick with you for a good long while. And it was the type of game where as soon as I finished playing it, I just, I restarted the campaign. You know, it was the thing where I was like, I want to dive right back in. Maybe not as uh, a harder difficulty because I don't know if I'm up to par with that, but it was the type of experience that I was just thinking about it constantly. I went back to play other things and then I was just, it was in the back of my mind and I was like, oh, you know, I'll sneak in a few, a few levels in between whatever I'm playing next and whatnot. But it is one of those examples also of, you know, a horror bite that we chatted about and then you get to see it come to fruition and what it ended up being is, you know, not only better than what we expected, but it has a few surprises in store, like I mentioned. But yeah, this was definitely one that uh, I was glad that we got a chance to talk about in some depth and whatnot. And uh, who knows for the future of Trepang, you know, it's uh, maybe we'll see more missions for Trepang 2 or maybe even, you know, a Trepang 2 two in the future um cute but it'll be cute a, next this is cute yeah, this is technically squared then yeah maybe cute there you go so uh yeah this was one that i was really happy that we got to chat about and whatnot um but yeah man as uh always it's a pleasure chatting horror with you for safe room back at you until the next time thank you for listening to another episode of safe room if you enjoy the show please rate us on itunes and follow us on twitter at safe room pod for show updates you can follow our Twitter account for Horror Bites also, at HorrorBites underscore SR. You can join our Discord channel, Safe Room Podcast, to chat with us and other horror fans about the genre we all love. And last but not least, you can email us at saferoompod at gmail.com if you'd like to share your thoughts on a game we're going to cover. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next Monday.